0: So Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Dear Lord, we, we pray for Johnny as he comes up now to to bring us your word we pray that as as you did then through your son Jesus giving us this word and through the those who wrote it down for us to have it now that you would speak through Johnny to really bring to light this this forgiveness that you have given us that we that we do not deserve we thank you for it and we pray that you'd really speak it into our hearts this morning amen morning everyone I'm Johnny, I'm one of the pastors here, I've not met you before, um, and we're currently in a sermon series in the, in the Lord's Prayer, uh, where Jesus essentially gives us six things to pray uh, to our Heavenly Father, to ask of God, and this week we're on the fifth out of six, uh, which is forgive us our debts, verse 12 there, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, or forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I don't know how many of you um, grew up watching Mr. Bean. Uh, I don't know if that was my like particular generation or whatever, but I used to love it, and needless to say, I was ecstatic as a ten-year-old when I found out that they were releasing a Mr. Bean film, creatively entitled Bean. And as you, I'm sure, can imagine the plot was fairly simple. He worked um, as like this slightly clumsy security guard in the National Gallery in London, but kind of the CEO kind of wants to get him out of the way and so he's sent as a representative um, of the gallery while a hugely valuable painting um, called Whistler's Mother uh, is transferred from London to Los Angeles. And the night before the painting's unveiling, is kind of left alone with this piece of art. And he's kind of inspecting it up close. And he's kind of looking at it thinking, you know, what's all the fuss about to him? He just thinks Whistler's mother looks a bit grumpy and, you know, whatever. And true to form, it's at that moment that he sneezes on the painting before wiping it with a handkerchief out of his pocket but the handkerchief he remembers has purple paint on it and so he's just taken this paint to this hugely valuable um painting so he gets out some paint stripper from the the, the closet and it gets the paint off but obviously it also takes the woman's face off so it's just got this like white smudge and so Bean thinks you know what it's fine I'll just grab a, a marker pen and I'll just draw her face back on um, and that's, that's the result. Um, so, so Bean's vain and naive attempt and actions showed that he had no idea how valuable this painting was. The point is this, that not knowing how much something is worth will affect how we treat it. And the way that Christians talk about forgiveness shows that we're often quite like Mr. Bean that we often haven't appreciated how much forgiveness costs. So when we read the prayer for God to forgive us our debt, we're not bowled over in amazement at our presumptuousness that we would ask for such a thing. And that translates, therefore, into our forgiveness of others, which can often be cheap and shallow. So it's kind of with that in mind that i kind of, I've really divided the text into two. There's just two parts of it. And the first is, Forgive us our debts. So just be, bear that in mind as we, as we look uh, at these two parts. So forgive us our debts. I guess we'll start, though, with a definition. What, what is forgiveness? You might think, well, that's obvious, what, but what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is when we cancel a debt that is owed to us. When we cancel a debt that is owed to us. When we sin against someone or against God, there is a price to pay. Forgiveness is when we take that price, that debt that is owed to us, on ourselves, bearing the injustice of it, within ourselves, and therefore forgiving. So when Jesus says, ask God for forgiveness, he is assuming there that we have a debt to God, that we have sinned against God, and that we owe him something. And so what is the value of the debt? How much do we owe God for our sin and wrongdoing? What do we need forgiveness of? And if you've been around church for long enough, you'll know the Bible couldn't really be any more explicit about how big our debt is and about how holy and just is this God for whom payment is required. To name only a few passages from God's Word, Ephesians 2 verse 1, for example, says that by our nature we are dead in our transgressions and sins. Famous verse in Romans 3 says there's no one who does good, not even one, no one who seeks after God. Or to put it as brutally as you can, in Genesis 6, God looked over the humanity whom he had made and he says this, that his, he saw that every inclination of our hearts is only sinful all of the time. It's absolutely savage. There is no day, likely no hour, of any day, that the inclinations of our hearts and the actions that come out of our hearts and the thoughts and the words that come from there do not incur an accruing debt that we owe to God. So can you imagine receiving the invoice that you have incurred so far and that the God of justice requires payment of? How long would that be? I don't know about you, but mine would go around the planet a couple of times and back. That's just yesterday. Now picture yourself as a little primary school kid, right? You're in that assembly, you're on that gym floors. you're always on a gym floor, aren't you? It's got that smell in the air. Um, And you're saying with the rest of the kids, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. You're like, what? What are you asking God there? You just kind of flippantly say, what are we saying? You just Cancel that invoice, just cancel it, just take it away. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. We, we show that we are like Mr. Bean, clearly unaware of what that kind of forgiveness would cost. For God to agree to that request, for him to forgive us our debt, would mean him taking on himself the price of our sin, a price which would make 100 million pounds of Whistler's mother look like a drop in the ocean. And yet this prayer for forgiveness, this prayer that God would cancel out our debt, is not only one that Jesus commands us to pray, but it is one to which God gives the most precious response. In three words, he says, I already have. I already have. Colossians 2 Verses 13 to 14 says that he forgave us all of our sins, having cancelled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You see, God took the invoice, not only of your past sins, but of your future sins as well. And instead of sending you that invoice to pay yourself, he nailed it to the cross of Jesus. God the Son... And there Jesus paid it himself with something far more valuable than a hundred million pounds. He, he paid it with the price of his own blood. So for all here and all around the world who would put their trust in that blood to cover the debt owed instead of you, well, God would freely forgive you. Even better, He has already forgiven you. The blood has already been spilled. The price has already been paid. He took the debt on himself. He paid the unimaginably high price for forgiveness. The invoice is completely settled. Doesn't that fill you with joy? Far from rote learning some prayer that we just think is dusty and something you say as a kid or whatever... When we come to him and pray, Father, forgive us our sins, every one that we ever have and ever will commit, he says this, Of course, my child. In Jesus, I have already forgiven you. And yet, interesting thing here is that Jesus is actually teaching his disciples how to pray. He's he's teaching his followers how to pray, not necessarily people who haven't, you know, who aren't following him at this point in time, and if his followers are those whose debt has already been cancelled by God, who have already been forgiven, why does Jesus still tell us to ask for forgiveness? <laughs> because you see if we, if, if we see, if we simply understand sin in terms of an invoice that we owed God, we'll neglect the relational side of sin. That our sin does personal damage, even as followers to God, of our relationship to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Sin isn't neutral now just because our sins have been cancelled. If we, if we just think of sin in legal terms, we'll think of God as some kind of cosmic parking attendant who slapped a fire on our windscreen for being a few minutes late back to the car. But let me ask you this. When someone has wronged you or sinned against you, have you thought of their sin in terms of an invoice? Or in terms of the hurt that you feel? In terms of the damage done to that relationship? Because forgiveness isn't only cancelling out debt. It's restoring a relationship between a person who's been wronged and their wrongdoer. It's not just payment. There's reconciliation. Reconciliation. So, if we only think of forgiveness of sins as a cancellation of debt, past, present, and future, we'll fail to understand why Jesus asks us to pray daily, Father, forgive us our sins. We'll fail to recognize how our daily sins get in the way of our relationship with God. But this is exactly what the Bible says that unrepentant, unconfessed sin does. Take famous verses in um, Psalm 32. Uh, King David writes this, when I kept silent, open bracket, about my sin, close bracket, my bones wasted away Though, uh, through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. But then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Don't hear this wrongly. We don't earn God's forgiveness by asking for it. As if every day we need to renew our standing as God's children through this ritual. That's not what's going on here. Through faith in the blood of Christ, not our quickness to confess, we are united to God as his children. Just as Josiah is united to me as my biological son. But if Josiah does something wrong... I ask him to say sorry. No one's got any issue with that. Because without forgiveness, without that kind of restoration, so there's beef in the way between us, isn't there? We, just, we need to get over something. You need to say sorry. And, and without fail, I forgive him. He's my son. I love him. In this way, Jesus calls us to ask God to forgive us, not so that God can weigh up whether or not he's going to grant that request, but so that we can be restored to the glorious freedom and an unhindered walk with God our Father, who has already paid for all of our sins. So my question to you this morning is this. Are you living your Christian life without seriously, fervently, and honestly confessing your sins to God? Without asking his forgiveness, which of course he's promised to you. This isn't about slavishly going through our hearts and thinking, oh, what sins is there? Which I, I, there's got to be something there, and I've got to say sorry for the things that probably is there, and I just don't know it. No, 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 it's not, it's not about that. This is about the sins that the Holy Spirit has made you aware of. The ones that you'd be pretty uncomfortable if, your, if people around you or your gospel family found out or saw. Those are the sins that Jesus is talking about to hear Jesus' words to you. Pray for God's forgiveness because in Jesus it's already yours. Clear the air with your Heavenly Father. Get rid of the relational hindrance. Don't hide from God because he knows and he sees every detail of your life. Ask for forgiveness and thereby enjoy walking in the light with your Heavenly Father as he forgives you each and every time because of the blood spilled in Christ. Enjoy life with him, without the beef, without the elephant in the room, and let his unfailing grace mean that you ask him for help to put away those sins in his strength. Why would we not pray that prayer? <laughs> Forgive us our debts. So That's the first bit. What about the, um, the second bit? As we also have forgiven our debtors or as we also forgive those who sin against us. <clears throat> you see, the Christian life isn't just about being forgiven, but it's about becoming more like God in his gracious, forgiving character. This is why the Bible time and again says that being a forgiven child of God will be absolutely inseparable from your forgiveness of other people. In Jesus' mind being forgiven will always show itself in your willingness to forgive. In fact, they are so closely linked that sometimes our being forgiven and our forgiveness of others come in different orders in the Bible. So Colossians 3.13, probably the order we're, we're more used to, calls us to forgive one another as the Lord forgave you, which implies, rightly, which the Lord's forgiveness came first, and then we forgive other people as a result. But interestingly, a few verses down in our passage, Matthew 6, 14, Jesus says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, which sounds more like our forgiveness of others comes before God's forgiving us. But don't hear Jesus' words wrongly. He's not saying you need to make sure you tick off forgiveness, um, uh, kind of before coming to God. No, what Jesus is doing is he is establishing an, uh, an inseparable link between being forgiven and our willingness to forgive. They aren't separable. It's not ordered. It's the, it's one. They are one and the not the same, but they come together. Later on in, in, in this same gospel, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus tells um, the parable. We actually preached on it in the summer. I can't remember who it was. I think it was Tobes. Um, About a, a parable, uh, sorry, about a servant who owed a king a debt of 20 <laughs> years' wages. But in his mercy, the king basically cancels that debt from, the, from his servant. And the servant goes out like burden lifted over the moon as you can imagine, 20 wages. I mean, I don't know what that would be for you, but. That's a lot, no matter what you're on, right? 20 years. But later, that king sees this same servant, who's just been forgiven, holding a man up by his collar against a wall, and this man owes him one year's wages. Sorry, not one year, one day's wages. And the king sees that, and as you can imagine, he's absolutely fuming. Hadn't he forgiven this servant 20 years of debt, And this guy's not even willing to forgive this man his far, 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 far smaller debt. So you see the point. God's forgiveness of us, or God has forgiven us far more than anyone could ever owe us. So being forgiven by God will always lead to a willingness to forgive others. They are absolutely inseparable. This is why Jesus Calls us to ask the Lord to forgive us our debt as, that is, at the same time as we have forgiven our debtors. The two are simultaneously true. I, I think it's at this point, though, that say I need to correct as if I've got the kind of perfect answer, but I think we do need to address two commonly, common errors amongst Christians about forgiving other people. The first error that I think Christians often make is what I'd call cheap forgiveness. We read Jesus' word here and we kind of close our eyes and just think, okay, I've got to forgive them. No questions asked. That person who did that thing to me, come on, I've got to really conjure up this kind of forgiveness in me. i just got to do it. And if we think Jesus is saying that forgiveness is a cheap thing, which can be readily served up like a Big Mac and fries. He is not saying that. This is Mr. Bean-like. It's to think that forgiveness is cheap, not hugely valuable. comes at a cost. It's not an easy transaction. For sure, Jesus is saying that we are to be willing to forgive all our debtors, no matter what they have done. But, but, but that's... That's not saying it's cheap. And indeed when we think of it as a, a, that kind of cheap attitude, we're gonna, well, it, does, it does a few things, it does two things. First, it undermines the relational element of forgiveness. Forgiveness implies that the wrongdoer has asked for forgiveness in order for there to be some kind of relational reconciliation. Not just us convincing ourselves in our minds that we've forgiven someone in our hearts who, between whom that sin has never even been mentioned, it's never even been discussed. Secondly, because cheap forgiveness really is no forgiveness at all, we might think that we've forgiven a person, but all the while we're just left seething with anger and bitterness, which can come out in a myriad of different ways. We experience no freedom from that situation or from that person. Actually, we are, in many ways, just comes out in different ways. No, just as our forgiveness wasn't cheap for God, it came at the price of His Son's blood. True biblical forgiveness does not come cheaply without any honest conversation and repentance on the part of the wrongdoer. That is the first error that Christians make when it comes to forgiveness. The second error that Christians make goes to the opposite extreme. You hear some Christians casually say something like this God doesn't forgive people who don't ask for forgiveness. So I'm not going to forgive that person until they confess what they did. Now we have to be really careful here, because in one sense it kind of seems like those people aren't making the error of the first group of Christians, which is kind of true. But the problem is, while true forgiveness may not be possible until the wrongdoer is asked for it, often it seems that this line is taken by people who are actually very unwilling to offer forgiveness. For a start, the person in the wrong may not even know what, they, what they've done. They may not even be aware that they've sinned against you. It might be that we need to tell that person that they hurt us, to give them a chance to say, I'm sorry, to repent. I just wonder if perhaps we can justify not confronting sin or hurt because we prefer to hold on to anger and bitterness. But even if the person's sin is patently obvious, i.e., no 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 confrontation is needed, you know, case of domestic abuse, or or even if you have pointed it out to them in the past, you know, what I would say is this while God does only forgive those who ask his forgiveness, he is willing to forgive any who'd come and repent of their sin. That is, God is disposed toward forgiveness. His heart is disposed that way, not towards bitterness. What that means is that if the person who's wronged us hasn't repented of their sin for whatever reason, we need to ask ourselves, if that person did ever come and ask for forgiveness, would I be willing to forgive them? And if they don't, perhaps because the person perhaps has passed away, so there's no chance of reconciliation or forgiveness, or perhaps for good reasons like trauma or your own safety, you never could go and tell that person how they've sinned against you or hurt you. Or perhaps they simply aren't in your life anymore. Perhaps circumstances just don't make that possible. Or does that mean that anger must be your default position for the rest of your life because you've not had that chance for reconciliation? Well, no. It means that God in his loving ordering of events, is inviting you to place your right and righteous anger and your good and right desire for justice into the hands of the God who has promised that one day he will judge every sin and bring that into judgment, particularly for the wrong, for the abused, and for the trampled on. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for our our prayer lives? What and how are we to pray? I'd hazard a guess that we probably find it easier to pray to God for his forgiveness of our sins than for his help to forgive others theirs. I'm aware that in this very building... I'm very aware that in this building there are people who have experienced the very worst of abuses, sexual, domestic, spiritual. You still live with the trauma and the scars every single day. Perhaps you rehearse what you'd say to that person if you ever saw them again. Maybe you fantasize about what you'd do to them if you ever saw them again. Your life has been controlled by them ever since it happened, whatever it was. Perhaps your life has, has spiralled out of control and you haven't even begun to process the damage done to you. And here is Jesus. He has the cheek to say casually, it seems, that you should pray to God to forgive them. I mean, seriously, what do you make of that? Honestly, in your heart of hearts, what do you make of that? Whose face do you see in your mind when you're hearing these words? Because you see them. Right now you see them, a lot of you. But if you're hurt deeply in this way, let me say this. If you are a Christian, yes, you are called to forgive your enemies. But you're called to this alongside the call to love one another, to show hospitality, to lay down your lives for the gospel. And we all know, don't we, that our growth in all of these character attributes takes time. Growth is slow in the Christian life. It is not an event. It's not a one-time thing. So brothers and sisters, why do we think being willing to forgive those who have done us the most profound harm should ever be an event, not a lifelong process of growth? Please do not hear Jesus' words and think today, do you know what, I've just really got to nail this. I've just really got to forgive that person what they did right here, right now. No, 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 this is a process and it comes via a prayer. That's what Jesus is calling us to. It is a process and it comes by a prayer. And if you still think that's impossible, if that's still one step too far to even consider, well, as you pray to your father to forgive you your sin, pray that he'd show you more of the debt that he has forgiven you ask him to help you delight both in the depths of his grace towards you in Jesus and in this light ask him that he would help you to delight in his perfect justice that is coming vengeance is the Lord's the Bible says so over time you can increasingly let go of your anger and find a willingness albeit very slowly to forgive as the Lord forgave you Jesus loves you. It's a trite thing that people throw out, isn't it? Jesus loves you. But Jesus really, really loves you. He certainly isn't standing over you in judgment of how angry you still are about what was done for you. No, his heart towards you is kind and he beckons you to come and pray. But even if something profound like that isn't the name of the game in your life still the question remains who do you need to forgive who comes to mind as you've been listening what, why do you need to appro- uh, sorry who do you need to approach maybe even this week to say listen you know that thing a year a couple of years ago that really hurt me Now please don't go overboard <laughs> In the Bible we're also called to forbear <laughs> Which is a form of forgiveness, if we you know if we' confronted every single person with every little character flaw um, or annoyance of others, you know what we wouldn't spend our time doing anything else, and we'd, at least at least you wouldn't with me and and, 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 and you know, we come across as really self- righteous you know that is part of us living as fallen people in, in a fallen world we are we are we're we are annoying, aren't we right uh, I don't mean that, but what but think about it what hurt has. Does your mind kind of keep on coming back to every so often? There's the one that is just always kind of there. You've never been able to let that go. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe for a lot of you it's your parents. Often it's going to be someone in church. Or maybe it's the other way around. Is there someone who's confronted you with your sin, but you've shrugged it off and you just thought, they've got that totally wrong. Maybe you need to go and ask that person for forgiveness for doing that. But you know what? Often our forgiveness won't require some huge and deep and meaningful conversation. In church, um, in church life, there's always going to be those gripes and annoyances with others. But if you're marveling at God's forgiveness of you, well, you're going to find it far easier to kind of shrug off those gripes that you may have against other Christians in church or in gospel family. Forgiveness is going to come far more naturally and quickly. No conversation required. Just move on graciously. Christians who get so easily annoyed with others are those who are infants in understanding the debt that God has forgiven them. The more you grasp God's grace, the more you'll be able to let go of your annoyance to others. As forgiven sinners, you'd think we'd just be so overjoyed by God's grace and Jesus that this forgiveness would just readily pour out of us. But Jesus knows us way too well. He knows that this whole area of forgiveness is so difficult for us, and that is why he asks us to pray honestly and fervently, Father, forgive us our sin as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Shall I pray? Lord God, we are all profoundly sinful, and yet you have wiped that clean, You've cancelled the debt and you have reconciled us to yourself so that we live in the freedom of relationship with you. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters as well as for myself that as a church we would delight in your grace. And that grace would then translate into our willingness to forgive other people. Lord, I pray for those who even now are considering whether to say something to that person or they are just just grappling with the profound trauma of what's happened to them in their past. Lord God, I pray that we would be a church who works these things out together in the community of your family. Father God, I pray that your spirit would prod us into a new prayer life where we act upon these things in a really balanced and nuanced and wise way and that we would love our brothers and sisters and counsel them in such wisdom. We pray that for your name's sake and for your glory. Amen.